take it back to grassroots. E-I-T. Hello and welcome back to the Trap Medicine Podcast. My name is Salome and I'm joined here with Asia and Natalie, as well as our special guest, Dr. Turner, who is a family medicine and sports medicine physician at Kaiser Baldwin Hills Crenshaw, located in South LA. And today we're going to be talking and discussing about obesity in South LA. Before we get started, can you please briefly introduce yourself, Dr. Turner? Hello, hello. It's an honor and a privilege to be here. My name is Brandon Turner. He said, I'm a family medicine and sports medicine doctor in South LA, born and raised in LA, grew up in the jungles, and now work at a clinic that's three blocks from my house. So it is, you know, being able to live and breathe my life dream and hopefully impact my community in a positive way. Yeah, so let's get right into it. On um, obesity today is an epidemic in the US, with one in three adults being obese and one in five children being obese. Now, why is this a huge concern? Well, it's because obesity-related conditions include heart disease, stroke, and type 2 diabetes, even certain types of cancer. And all of these are among the leading causes of preventable and premature death. But obesity affects some groups more than others, non-Hispanic Black adults being the highest affected, and um, followed by Hispanic adults and non-Hispanic white adults, and also non-Hispanic Asian adults followed. So when looking at how obesity affects Los Angeles County, South LA has the highest rates of obesity in the whole county. 39% of adults in South LA are obese compared to 21 in the Los Angeles County, and 55% of teens in the South Los Angeles are overweight and obese compared to 34% of Los Angeles County. So before we get into discussing the disparities that I just mentioned, can you explain what obesity is and how obesity is measured? So obesity in general is just kind of excessive body fat. Um, I think obesity is sometimes like a taboo word. Um, you know, we, we culturally, I would say, kind of have a different thought on what fat, what obesity is, but coming from a straight medical term is just excessive body fat and it usually increases your risk of having bad health outcomes, which is one of the reasons why we focus on it. The, the math of it is just the your weight over your height. We use the metric system, so it's kilograms over your height, meters squared. So we can come up with a magic number for it. Um, and then with that BMI calculation, um, a BMI over 30 is considered obese. Um, different people will tell you different things about what is considered overweight. It's anywhere between that 28 to 30 range, but generally above 30 is where we start to get but I think we've all seen that BMI scale that Dr. Turner mentioned. Uh, we've seen it on like clinics or when we go visit a doctor, and it's still widely used across the country. And even though it is used to classify whether an individual is underweight, healthy, or um, overweight or obese, it's sometimes considered misleading or inaccurate, like you mentioned, a little taboo. Can you expand a little on that? Yeah, so BMI is. Well, firstly, it's grossly inaccurate if you're really, really tall. But like, you should never use BMI on like an NBA player because it looks crazy. Um, but also, BMI is not always the perfect measure for weight. So also taking into account what somebody eats, what's their activity level. Because some people generally are just kind of heavier than others. So genetics always play a big part in that too. So 
BMI is just one of the factors we're looking at in terms of general health, but it can kind of give you some information on what we can do to always improve somebody's health. Um, can I ask a question really fast? So I remember being in middle school and part of like our health and fitness for PE, they would bring out like that kind of like scale thing where they like pinch your fat. Is that play a role where the BMI, is that the BMI scale or is that something completely different? That's a little different, okay. but I think a lot of ways we kind of use all that stuff the same way. Okay. So those, those scalpers are what you're talking about. Um, like measuring like your body fat. Yeah. But we also use like your percent body fat as a proxy for, you know, if you're going to overweight. So okay. I was going to say that you're giving bad drink about that sit and reach thing. Is that oh, really yeah. Bad? And then if you didn't pass it, yeah. You get a bad grade. A bad grade. I'm like, I'm sorry, I'm not flexible. <laughs> I've never been flexible. That sit and reach was always a problem. Oh, the Pacers was the Pacers was like my downfall. <laughs> Every year, I would like make sure I got out in the first round. You're not going to embarrass me. <laughs> definitely. Um, so, what do we think are some factors that we take into? Um, I think that a factor that would lead to obesity definitely be like your food options or what you have available to eat or what you ate growing up, like for instance, um, in my home, the way I ate versus like some of like my white friends, what they ate and where they got their groceries from. And they're to asking me if I've tried this snack from Trader Joe's and I'm like, what is Joe and who is he trading? You know, like, <laughs> I don't know what that is. So um, that difference, like I'm eating hot Cheetos, like I eat those all day, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And they're just kind of like, oh no, you know, my mom made date bars. And I'm like, what is a date? So I think there's options, like the food options is definitely like one way that leads to obesity. Yeah, I definitely agree. Um, also having a safe place to like get physically active is very important. I'm from South LA, born and raised, and like sometimes I want to go out for a run, but like I'm scared of all the cars. Like cars don't really care if you're like you have to really keep an eye out for your own safety and um, just having a safe area to walk or run. Um, we have very few parks, and even the parks that are available, like they don't have. I see like in the nicer areas, they have the built-in gyms, they have a track, they have all these amazing resources that like people from South LA can definitely use. So your built environment is also very important. Right, um, you guys touch up on great things that we'll discuss further. Um, just some other factors are, you know, genetics plays a role, um, health conditions and the type of medications you're taking, as well as like stress and poor sleep. Um, but like Asia touched upon earlier, all of these are contingent on your environment and your lifestyle, and that really has a lot to do with it. Um, so they're not just like, oh, I'm not getting enough sleep. You know, what is the true cause of that? Or I'm not getting healthy food or I'm not eating healthy food, but what is the cause of that? That has a lot to play with it. And we will look at three of the many factors that lead to obesity while considering it in South LA. So the first one is quality of food in South LA, right? Um, do we think there are healthy foods easily like accessible in South LA? I'm, I would say like, no. I see a lot of fast food 
they're trying, which I respect. Um, and they're trying to bring in I, what I see is a lot of like different types of like plant-based options or vegan options that I didn't hear of until I got to high school or college. And I don't, and I think it's like opening like younger generations eyes to more options of food, which I like. Yeah, definitely. Residents in South LA do struggle purchasing fresh food. And this is because there are fewer grocery stores in South LA than neighboring cities. And the quality of food is lesser value than nearby communities. And major supermarket chains have been criticized for leaving lower income communities like South LA. And they, therefore they lack healthier food options beyond the ever-present corner stores and factory chains. And South LA is actually considered to be a food desert. This is where the lack of access to fresh food and droughts in supermarkets result in an increase of fast food restaurants, liquor stores, and small convenience stores. And we actually did um, a podcast on food deserts and food drought in America. So feel free to check that, check that out. Um, so one more thing I do want to add to this topic is, so in July 2008, the Los Angeles City Council imposed a ban on opening or expanding fast food establishments in South LA in hopes to reduce obesity. However, in 2015, it was found that the amount of people who are overweight or obese actually increased from 63% to 63% to 73% within four years. So what do what, what do you think are some reasons that this ban failed? I mean, to speak on one thing you just mentioned specifically, the massive routes on Crenshaw and Slauson that just closed like a year ago. So it was like the maybe most accessible grocery store for a huge chunk of South LA and it's gone now. Um, so that leads you to go to corner stores, go get things like fresh fruit. And I'm not sure how many of y'all have ever tried to get fresh fruit at the corner store. Not fresh. And, <laughs> yeah, it's not usually as fresh. It makes me think like when I was a kid, my mom was always insistent about keeping fruits and vegetables on the plate when we were eating, but it was almost always out of a can. We had canned green beans, canned broccoli, canned peas, so always had vegetables. But I'm sure, you know, as we would, if we looked at that research now, there's a big difference between that Del Monte corn and getting <laughs> actual corn, like corn on the cob from the grocery store. And that wasn't always available at the store when I was young. And unfortunately, still kind of a thing right now. Um, so, just in general, trying to ban fast food places doesn't necessarily eliminate the problem of people not having access to quality food. So you still end up going and go get the fast food. Just find other ways to get it. So, unfortunately, you know, if you need to eat, you need to eat. All right. If they close down the nearby uh, McDonald's, DoorDash, somebody can go get it for me. All right. No, definitely. So yeah, this ban didn't. It wasn't successful, obviously, and I guess for other initiatives, they really need to consider an alternative. Like, sure, they closed down, or they pre they're preventing from a fast food restaurants to open. However, what is the alternative? Are we bringing in more grocery stores? Are we opening up, you know, um, or bringing farmers market in? So they didn't consider that. So it's like some reasons that the ban failed. So as we discussed, you know, quality and healthy food is not available residents of South LA compared to nearby communities and requires less efforts that can be, you know, driving down further or even, you know, taking time out of the day to ensure them or their family are 
getting healthier alternatives, you know, this is definitely one of the barriers that can lead to um, the stats that we saw that's carrying lives down the low communities um, have a higher living agency. Um, so are there any initiatives to bringing healthy food to salad? Um, what is the best approach to this problem? I mean, I think it takes money. Um, and, you know, I am definitely uh, not partial in this. You know, I, I work at Kaiser. So one of the things that we are specifically trying to focus on is making our clinic not just a place where people get their medical care, but also kind of making it a community hub. So, you know, in that whole world before COVID, um, we used to have a farmer's market at our clinic. So allowing fresh fruits and fresh vegetables in a location where people can just come and buy them. Um, one of the places I loved, and unfortunately just got snatched out of print on wall was every table, which was like very healthy, but also affordable options to eat. Um, but, you know, investing in those sorts of companies, I think is very important. Um, you know, and interestingly enough, as you, as you were talking about Trader Joe's, it made me think about the fact that one of the reasons why Trader Joe's is so successful, people go to Trader Joe's for lunch because they have fresh, healthy food like and meals prepared that you can just go buy at lunch. And I think that is one of the things when you start talking about food is accessibility. Um, so if you make the stores, but you also make them have not only just groceries and fresh fruit and vegetables, but also something that is either quickly warmable, eat at home or something you can even grab at the grocery store that makes a whole difference in terms of the accessibility for food and people are more likely to eat healthy food. But again, that takes some initiative from the community and probably so and maybe even more important that's some financial investment in the community you know farmers markets aren't free but they also aren't super expensive but it takes the community activism to make those things happen um so the next thing we're going to talk about is exercising satellite so in satellite nearly 100 square miles and million people residing also happens to be the most parked for area in Los Angeles with about 1.2 acres of park space per 1,000 people. And let's note that the national standard is six acres for every 1,000 residents. So Saddle falls short of one sixth of this um, national standard. And Western Los Angeles County has 59 acres of park per 1,000 residents which is very astonishing, well, I meant to say, which is very hard to compare because of how I great the site is. Astonishing. Astonishing. Okay. <laughs> okay. So let's redo this again. Don't give up. All right, let me just redo it. Okay. No, we're going to go with that. Okay. So, now I know that. You're good. Clearly, the disparity is apparent. Yeah, we can be say that. So clearly the disparity is apparent. And I know Natalie mentioned earlier with her experience about um, not being able to see parks where she grew up. And it's very disheartening. And in many of poor neighborhoods, parks, playgrounds, trail, trails, and free public gyms are often not available or safe. And this results in, you know, parental support to keep their kids safe. And in yours are the way to keep them safe. And this increases or this encourages sedentary behavior through watching TV, playing video games. And this is 
Yeah. Growing up, I wasn't allowed to go to the parks in my neighborhood. My parents told me I wasn't allowed to go to the parks in my neighborhood unless they were with me. Um, for context, I grew up in LA off of El Segundo and Avalon. So that's more so close to like Compton area. So huge Magic Johnson Park down the street. Um, Enterprise Park was around the corner. Tons of parks around the corner from me at walking distance. I wasn't allowed to go. I would always have to go to Carson to go to the parks anyway, mostly. Right. So once again, you're taking that extra step mm-hmm. which is, you know, to be fit or to be healthy. And, you know, this shouldn't be the case. Um, are there any initiatives that you want to talk about that's bringing, you know, physical activity or physical education south of Rose? Yeah. So the, the pandemic turned me into a runner. Um, so the, the pandemic has done a lot of crazy things, but that is a gift that it has given me. Um, one of a good friend of mine, uh, his name Graham McGee, is the creator of Compton Run Club. And one of the things he says is we are, you know, changing the perspective of running in Compton. And I think that's what a lot of the investment now is trying to change that narrative around are some of these areas safe? I would always say, you know, you can be cautious. Um, but some of them might be safer than we think, especially if we are comfortable with like using the things in our community. Um, you know, when, when I was little, I lived around the corner from Rancho Park and Jim Gilliam Park. And I was told when I was little, you don't go to Jim Gilliam but that's, unless you would meet. Um, in Rancho, I went to Rancho when there was an organized activity, but it was not the kicking spot. So, um, but I think in terms of there is a crawl of the changing of some of these spaces that they are definitely working on building some of these uh these gym things at the parks like jim gilliam now has like a beautiful setup of all these exercise um things um there along with kind of a little walking running path that you can get some work in i know um in the mornings i definitely see uh, you know what would probably be my uncles and aunts like out there um getting their steps in in the morning so that is always beautiful to see but I think that does take maybe some understanding of, of where you are, but also knowing that, like, you know, as long as you are with a safe group of people, you can probably make those things work. And, you know, once again, shout out to, like, Compton Run Club and People 100 because they're doing these things in large groups. So it is much easier to kind of make that stuff work if you're in a nice, safe group to make that work than you can run all of this. Right. I think that's a good point, you know, joining the group because that not only teaches the safety, but also motivates you too to keep on going. Um, do you know where people can find these groups? Yeah, so I'm sure everybody in the world is on Instagram at this point. Um, so they <laughs> come to Run Club and keep running under the boat on Instagram. Um, so definitely be good to check them out. They have runs, you know, different days during the week, different locations. So not only can you run safely, but you can also get a, a different kind of view of the city when you're on foot versus you're on a car or on a bus. Dr. Mentioned how much running. What do you guys like to do for the form of exercise? Um, I'm actually at a strength training gym right now. So my body hurts, but it's a lot of like weights more than cardio, which I kind of like because I think I have the upper body strength of a toddler. So I get to like build up my confidence and kind of makes me more aware of my body because a lot of the most important part of strength training is making sure your technique is right. Mm -hmm. So you have to pay attention to things that, 
you normally wouldn't really pay attention to working out. So it's a different type of workout, but I like it because it's mentally challenging because you want to tap out because it hurts, but it the after feels good because you get stronger. Yeah. I think for me, yoga and just like deep stretching has been a big part of, especially because COVID and being at home. I also work from home um, and sitting down for eight hours it's not how your body was planned or built for so i do enjoy uh, multiple yoga sessions throughout the day just to relieve the strain on my muscles and actually a plug for lamarck park they do yoga in the park um every sunday so we go and do outreach at lamarck park and at 11 a.m they have yoga in the park a lot of more younger folks from the community come out but it's so nice they have uh a big group there's always someone leading it um they also have a dance group that comes in once a month i believe at their art walk so it's really nice to see um, both young and older uh, members of the community uh, share the space but also get like physically active as a community so it's really nice to see yeah if you're closer by me um i'm in long beach by the way uh yoga on the bluff is at cherry beach it's completely free um twice a day once at 11 and the other time i believe is at six but it's free you come bring your mat um yoga on the bluff it's beautiful views of the beach right there the dock i mean the port los angeles over there too so meet some cool people cool and i think i'm getting inspired to join this group fitness um community options but i think personally i'd like to go on walks around Sunset area, it's been nice weather, nice view, you know, getting some steps in. Um, so the next part is about stress and how it's related to obesity. So stress is defined as a state of mental or emotional strain or tension resulting from adverse or very demanding circumstances. Um, Doctor, do you mind explaining how stress can be related to obesity? Yeah, um, stress is really interesting because there's two types of stress. There's acute stress and then there's chronic stress. So acute stress, you, when you think about people who are really stressed out because they have finals or something coming up, they tend not to eat. But people who have chronic stress have really, really high hormone levels, particularly like your cortisol level goes through the roof. And when your cortisol level is up, you are hungry, but it also makes you metabolize your food differently. So you're like holding that food. And that is the stuff that kind of turns into fat. Uh, along with that, you know, the way the brain works, when you are stressed, you tend to not want to go grab some veggie straws. You usually want to go eat some comfort food. Um, so then you're eating, you know, higher calorie, uh, higher carb food, which is more likely to turn into fat and stick on you. And your metabolism is slower because you're chronically stressed. And this is just a revolving circle that, Makes it hard sometimes to get out of that obesity cycle. Yeah, I think I relate to you know the short term or the acute stress that you mentioned. But see, I, I was surprised about you know the chronic stress and how that leads to the opposite result of yeah. Yeah, so definitely stress is another environmental factor that can lead to obesity. Um, the next thing I want to talk about is the financial disparities. And how you know buying healthier foods, exercising, which can mean you know affording a gym membership or even living at a place 
what's safe for you to exercise, or even healing self-care habits to reduce stress usually require more. And obesity is especially higher amongst Americans with the lowest level of education and the highest poverty rates. And the obesity and diabetes um, epidemic could be driven by the commercial or supply and widespread of marketing of inexpensive high sugar foods. So usually, you know, families cannot afford to pay for organized children's activities outside of school and schools in impoverished areas are less likely to run or have sports or physical activity programs within their schools. And families choose high fat foods with dense, dense with energy, such as like sugar, cereal, potatoes, and processed meat produce, um, because these foods are more affordable and last longer than fresh vegetables and meats and fish. So we can see how financial disparity can drive like a person to you know, being sort of the way. Um, one thing that you had mentioned, like growing up, you said that your mom would have vegetables on the plate, but the vegetables would come from hands. So can you like kind of touch on a little bit like the nutritional benefit of having like fresh vegetables and fresh foods to eat versus like maybe canned or even frozen foods? Because my doctor personally told me to slow down on my frozen foods because my cholesterol was climbing. Exactly. Yeah. Anything that's not fresh has a preservative in it. And those preservatives start taking a hit at how healthy that food is. Um, so, you know, if you had some green beans fresh out the ground, the funniest thing I always say is if you've ever eaten fresh green beans and green beans out of the can, they look crazy different. So that's the first thing you got to process too. You know, when you're getting carrots out of the can, they are perfect circles every single time a carrot straight out the ground looks crazy. He's got hair going on and sometimes it's dirty. So it looks different. So you, it lets you know there they're manipulating. So it, it's not having that same ability to give you all those nutrients that you're looking for. Um, and, you know, there, there might be levels to, you know, how fresh something is, especially we were talking about earlier, like farmer's markets. The, the benefit of a farmer's market is that um, food is supposed to be coming fresh, fresh from the farm and then you're eating it, putting it on your plate. You know, that the other thing I always joke is if you go to the farmer's market and go buy some strawberries, you got about 72 hours to eat them. Otherwise, <laughs> you're going to look bad. But you can go buy strawberries at Ralph's and they might last a week. Yeah. Right. And, and that's letting you know that there's preservatives and stuff in them, too. And all of that stuff, like I said, it takes a hit on how healthy the food actually is. Um, but, you know, that I would argue better than nothing. Yeah. I'd rather you have some frozen green beans than no green beans. If you had a choice between fresh green beans or not fresh ones, we would always go with the fresh ones. And, you know, when you start talking about money, too, you know, even things like salad is super expensive. You know, um, I, I love a good salad. I will go to, to Salad Farm any day of the week. But, you know, it's costing you 15 hots to go eat that food. Um, and, you know, you can go get six nuggets at McDonald's for a dollar. And the other thing is that salad you probably are going to be hungry again in two or three hours, you know, unless you're putting like a bunch of carbs in your salad too, you know, folks like their quinoa or whatever. Um, but, you know, you can eat those McDonald's chicken nuggets and not be hungry for the rest of the day because they're so calorically dense, but there's just a whole bunch of stuff in it is what makes it calorically dense. But, you know, it becomes much more cost efficient if you just eat six chicken nuggets and that's all you need to eat for a few hours. Right. Um, I think when you guys start talking about 
instead of process that got me thinking about how I grew up in Ethiopia and food there was pretty, you know, fresh and healthy. And one thing my mom found like as a culture shock when she moved here was about milk. She would always say how like she would buy fresh milk in Ethiopia, both bad, so apparent and about four budgets. And she's always like, you know, but she even buys organic milk here in America. And then it has about what, like a 15 day mm -hmm. period before it goes bad. So I think overall as a country, even the FDA regulations and on the food here, it's very different upon yeah. the global scale. And I know even some things are banned in other countries, like yeah. cereals. And so I'm, I'm always like aware, like, okay, you don't like eat that. Takis. Yeah. Oh, I love those. <laughs> I love those. I love, they're terrible. They are terrible, but I love them. They legit don't even sell them to other countries. No. Mm -hmm. They were thinking about stopping to sell them here. I remember middle school, I was going through a crisis. Yeah, they should. They should. Mm -hmm. I've cut back on my coffee consumption, I'll say that much. But yeah, I agree with you because when I studied abroad in Thailand, that's one thing that I did notice. I was eating a lot more out there, I feel like, than I was at home. But I came home and everybody was like, girl, what they do? Like, you lost so much weight out there. And I think part of it is because, like, out here we drive everywhere. In Thailand, you're walking a lot of the places that you have to go to. Um, as well as it's 9,000 degrees outside all the time. So you're sweating a lot too when you're walking, but the food tastes different there to me. It tastes fresher. It, even the McDonald's, like yeah. even the McDonald's, I promise you it feels like they have the chickens being raised in the back and they're slaughtering the chickens to give me fresh chicken nuggets. So I think that there is a, a difference culturally that the FDA is like putting in our foods versus like, other places where things taste fresher, even the vegetables taste fresher in restaurants. Oh, definitely. And I, I think as a country and like an FDA thinking about that, um, is there a way or direction of like improvement that we're seeing? Because, you know, obesity is mainly driven by like foods. Um, is, do you see a change coming on from the FDA or like how this country is operated when it comes to food? Maybe I'll have you on my sad soapbox. Um, <laughs> I think as a country, we are making it more available to have healthy options, but I, I'm not of the mind that we're going to get a whole bunch of help from the FDA to necessarily take away the possibility to still have food that can last a long time and can be calorically dense. But I think, you know, the more you make something available, people are more likely to use it. You know, I think the real life example of this is like electric car. You know, electric cars have been around for like a decade and a half, but now they are more accessible and chargers are more accessible for people are more likely to use them. So I'm hopeful that when it comes to food, if you make healthier food more accessible and a little more cost efficient, then people will take up that option because, you know, I think ultimately at the end of the day, you talk about how food tastes different in Thailand. I think I might substitute the word different for better. Yeah. Right. I think it tastes better. So mm -hmm. if you had the opportunity to eat something that tastes all right for a dollar or something that tastes great for a dollar twenty-five, most people might take that dollar twenty-five option. So I think as long as we have that there, I'm hoping that we the people will make that choice. Right. Um, so the last section is access to health care. So how does the lack of access to quality health care lead to a community? 
I think there are so many medical issues that kind of have to be diagnosed that can affect obesity, like thyroid problems can cause obesity, having hormonal imbalances can cause obesity. Um, and so much of this stuff just requires you to go to the doctor so you can even start the evaluation process and start the treatment. Um, also, access to health care is not just seeing your doctor. Access to health care, especially in a lot of healthcare system systems, means you can see a dietitian, you can see a nutritionist, you can see physical therapists, you can go to cooking classes. All of that stuff is also included in your health care package, which is why, you know, things like Obamacare were so impactful for so many people because it is not just I can see my doctor for my physical, but it is also that I can take care of my whole self in a healthy way. I have a question. I've heard of food pharmacies like in Texas. Do you have insight on how like food pharmacy programs can be implemented like by a healthcare system now to make, you know, instead of prescribing drugs and, you know, synthetic, not natural things we can sort of prescribe and provide uh, community members with free, fresh produce as a form of, you know, alternative medication. I think that's a real thing. And I think that's why I will go back to what we were doing at our clinic in terms of just having farmers markets and things like that available, because I tell most of my patients, because outside of obesity, there's a bunch of other kind of chronic health issues like diabetes and high blood pressure and high cholesterol, that so much of that is impacted by diet and exercise. So if I can pull out my prescription pad and tell you I need you to walk for 30 minutes three times a week and put more green stuff and fruits on your plate, I would rather write that prescription all the time than write a prescription for a medication. Um, because, you know, none of these medications are side effect free. But you know what's side effect free? I want to walk through them. Um, and it gives you, you know, it gives you way more bang for your buck. You can, you can do that forever. Um, and hopefully stay as healthy as you can be for as long as you can do it. And you can do a lot of that without medicine if you're willing to put in the work for the lifestyle change that that creates. But, you know, I also think having access to healthcare to help you start that journey of changing your lifestyle is very, very important. Um, another question to add on to that. Um, I shadowed a family medicine doctor um, before. Um, doctor and nurse practitioner. And when the doctor would go speak to the clients, he was African-American and most of the clients in the, that would come to the clinic were African-American, Black as well. They would be more susceptible to like the treatment that he would say versus the nurse practitioner who was Asian. And when she would speak to them, they would just kind of like not really take it serious. And it would be a lot of we would see them back next week for the same issues type of thing. So do you think that part of the access to healthcare is being, having access to people that like kind of look like you? Like, do you think that that would help people be more susceptible to like working on their lifestyle change? That is, that's the magic key to all of this. Uh, I went to Cal for undergrad, go Bears. I am a, cr a proud alumni. But there was a huge study out of Stanford, maybe about 15 or 20 years ago, that basically showed that cultural concordance with your health provider increased your health outcomes like exponentially. Um, so the example that you just gave, there's actual studies that prove that that's a real thing. Um, so that's important. But I also think that is why, you know, health 
education pipelines are so important so that we can create a larger pool of people who will fit the cultures with which they want to work in or even in that pipeline. I think the other part to that too is increasing cultural competency in the practitioners that we have now because, you know, the way the numbers work, it is impossible for every African-American person to have an African-American doctor. It is impossible for every Latino person to have a Latino doctor, but it is imperative that every practitioner is culturally competent to the patients that they're taking care of. Um, and when you start talking about things like obesity, having a basic understanding of the type of foods that your patient eats culturally are important. Mm -hmm. So it is one thing to be like, hey, I want you to eat low-carb foods. Great. What's a carb? Right. Right? But if you're talking to, you know, an African-American person and you're talking about, like, tell me how you cook your greens. Mm -hmm. What are you using as your base when you are making chicken? Like all of those sorts of things are tangible for patients to understand, but that requires the practitioner to have a little bit of understanding on who they're caring for. Um, that makes a big difference. And I think I, I could have the same conversation with a million different people, but being able to create that point of contact completely changes the reception of that conversation. Um, so moving on to our last question. So we touched up on several systemic barriers that exist to being healthy, um, but how can a South LA resident prevent the risk for obesity and how can they start moving towards a healthier lifestyle? So exercise, the one thing I always try to impart is it is not running a marathon. That is not what you need to do to stay healthy. Something that gets your heartbeat going, hopefully makes you even break a sweat, 30 minutes, three times a week is a great place to start. Um, other kind of short-term things you can do, take the stairs instead of the elevator. One of the things I tell a lot of my patients is when you go to the grocery store, park in the back. Make sure you carry your bags or push your basket an extra 200, 300 feet, right? But if you make that your routine, that means you're just still in steps every day. And all of those things go a long way in terms of improving your health and making things like obesity less and less likely. Um, we, we talked a lot about parks. The Baldwin Hills Overlook is a great spot. They're remodeling even Kenneth Hahn Park now in terms of the walking paths and stuff. So there, there are ways to do that stuff. Like I said, just be cautious of your surroundings. Um, and I also think with exercise, so much of it is finding somebody that's going to hold you accountable. So, you know, start a, start a text chat and say you're going to walk. And then, you know, somebody might check in with you a couple hours later and say, hey, did you get that walk in? So that kind of stuff is important and maybe even better than a text chat. Go grab that person and make them go with you. Um, I, I'm a big believer in you can use, you can usually use your dollar and still get healthier things. Um, maybe not the, the most healthy, but I'm a big believer in like healthier because those little things can make a difference. Um, you know, so when you're buying food, um, big things that are empty calories for people, drinks huge factor in empty calories. Um, so soda is one of the things we always talk about, but juice can be a big thing too. You know, uh, as we talked about the difference between quality of things, some fresh orange juice is very different than Sunny D, right? So that is, that is not orange juice. That is um, sugar. 
am I resembling somebody? <laughs> um, so those, those sorts of swaps that you can make at the store make a difference. And, you know, even when we're getting fast food, there are possibilities to make those sort of changes too. Um, you know, even places like McDonald's for the kids meal had the option to get apples and, and fries or instead of having two large servings of fries. So you can do those sorts of things. Um, you know, even spots like Chipotle, you can get a bowl or you can get a salad. Like throw some green stuff in there and put everything else in there. But you can get some benefit from having some of the, the lettuce there. A lot of spots do offer those sorts of changes, even fast food. Um, and the last part, I guess this is a plug to myself. Please go get your physical. Um, it's hard to start this journey if you don't know where you're starting. Um, so to have an understanding of what your health profile looks like and then hopefully like I said, if you're using your, your health care, you can access a dietitian or a nutritionist. Um, but also sometimes obesity is not just you. Sometimes obesity, like I said, is related to your thyroid, related to your hormones, related to many other factors. And you don't even know those things until you start that process. Um, and there are many, many, many healthy ways to lose weight as long as you have the proper information and the right team behind you. Um, so as long as you are, you know, open, opening your horizons a little bit to try some different things and use your health connections. Like I said, if you, if you have health insurance, go tap in with those people. Even if you just say, I want to lose weight, that is a reasonable question to ask your doctor. Um, it is not something you only can go to Jenny Craig or Planet Fitness for. It's also something you can ask your doctor. And there are a lot of tools in our toolbox to try to help patients. Right. Um, thank you so much for the tips. We hope this conversation um, showed the disparity, but also showed us ways to live a healthier life and make healthier choices. Thank you again for joining us, Dr. Chandler, and Halloween and Asia. Thank you for listening.